Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Joe Slack, a game designer, instructor of game design, best-selling author, and publisher. Today, he launched on Kickstarter Montello's Revenge, a follow-up expansion to a successfully funded game, Relics of Raja Bahar. Joe, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Well, James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I am just stoked that I didn't mess up the name of that game. <laughs> you got it. You nailed it. <laughs> this, I think the first time in the history of every time we've talked that I've been able to actually get this uh, proper name of this game out. So uh, uh, it's good to have you back, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on uh, this campaign. I was super happy for you today when I opened up the Kickstarter page and saw already, not only have you hit your goal, you've crushed your goal. You're sitting at $17,667 on a $5,000 goal. And this is your first day. Uh, you got to be pretty happy. I, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I was not expecting it to fund that quickly. I, I was, you know, hoping that it would do pretty well. Um, pretty confident with my previous game that I had a lot of backers that would be coming back to get the expansion. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it exceeded my expectations. That's for sure. Yeah, it, uh, and I think for a solo game, it, it's incredible, right? So, you know, with most games, you have, you know, wide audience to hit where you've got really a very specific audience you're going after, right? So to be able to, you know, do this well on your on your second iteration, I know you did, I think, over 60, I was at like 65,000 on the first iteration, but to hit this already just speaks to, I think, not only the quality of this game and the interest of people coming back, um, but the, the emergence of solo variants of games right now with COVID and us coming out of COVID, you're seeing more and more of people kind of looking for solo versions of games. So to have a game that's actually designed specifically for solo players, I think is just uh, super cool. So for our audience, if you don't mind, can you explain what Relics is all about? So maybe just get into kind of the core game before we get into the expansion. Like how, what is this game about? How do you play it? Of course. So Picture one of these uh, digital puzzly type of games where you're having to push around blocks and solve a level, uh, you know, create a different pattern and, and kind of get to the gem kind of thing. Uh, think about, you know, some of the levels from uh, previous Legend of Zelda, uh, Adventures of Lolo, Kickle Cubicle, that type of thing, where you're trying to solve these puzzles, but put into a tabletop uh, 3D tactile experience. So you actually have these one inch really cool wooden blocks that have like crates and boulders and other things that you're moving around and positioning uh, to try to solve the levels. And just like a video game, you're progressing one level to the next to the next uh, until you beat a complete floor. Every floor has a kind of a, a nemesis, a kind of like a boss at the end yep. uh, where you get the, the satisfaction of dropping a, a crate on them, uh, but then they escape and uh, you know get to the next level. And you have to do that through a progression of five floors, 50 levels total. And, uh, and then once you're done that campaign, uh, you open up another envelope, which opens up a whole new set of adventures that are completely replayable with all new, even more difficult challenges and some kind of build your own sandbox kind of levels as well. That's crazy. So let me just unpack this a bit. So the, and I've got some pictures I'm sharing on the screen for people who are watching or watching in the play, uh, in the playback. So these cubes are act, like the, the actual boxes, you're physically moving them around, right? So in, traditionally like in an app or digital format, you're kind of sliding the boxes and so forth. Where in this case, you're physically stacking the boxes sliding and I guess you have to follow certain rules as to what you can move and how you can move them. How are those rules kind of set up? Is it just, a, is it the same kind of 
I guess, physics uh, for, for all levels or is there certain weight, like is each level like indicate, okay, you can only move the boxes a certain way? Yeah, so every floor will introduce a new new um, element. So the first one is uh, crates. Mm -hmm. So crates, can, you can pretty much push them around any way you like, but there's walls. It's an eight by five grid. Mm -hmm. And once you get something pushed against a wall, it's stuck there. You can't pull it away from there. You can only slide it back and forth. And if you get into a corner, it's stuck. It's you're, you're out of luck. So you have to be careful how you place things. Um, but you can jump up on them. You can push them. If you got a stack of them, you can push one and all the rest will fall down. Uh, those kind of mechanics. And then as you open the next box, you've got another element and it behaves a little differently. And then the next floor, another element and it behaves a little differently than that. And they interact nicely with each other um, as you go through uh, one floor to the next. So uh, the first couple levels are kind of tutorial-like, kind of yeah. getting you into the flow of, you know, here's how you do the moves, here's how you push things around, and then you learn certain tricks um, that you'll keep applying and and altering and changing as you get uh, new, new, more new elements uh, all the way through. That's super cool. And then, like I noticed, like in some of the images I'm showing online here, you have like the classic physics where you can like push the bottom box if you're at the same level as the bottom box, but you can't like hit the one above it. So that would slide out and I guess the other one would drop down with, with gravity and so forth, right? Yep. Now each of these floors, so how many is it, is it kind of one puzzle per floor? Is that how that works? So there's uh, 10 levels per floor. Oh, wow. uh, so you, yeah, you uh, beat number one through 10, um, and then you advance to the next floor. And then you go through that uh, five times, basically a progression of 50 levels in the base game. And then the expansion brings in uh, three new caverns, which are kind of like the floors, mm -hmm. and they each have 10 levels as well and introduce some uh, all new elements that are different than the, than the blocks and allow you to do some things that you couldn't do in the original game. So I just want to make sure I understand this correctly. So there's 10 per floor. And there's 50 floors. No, no, five, five floors. Five floors. Okay. <laughs> Ten floors each, yeah. I'm like 50 total. I'm like, 50 total where do you get all the time to do 500 levels? Yeah. All <laughs> that's, right. So that's a lot. I got gotcha. you. So 50, but still even 50 kind of puzzles is, is a lot of development. Like how long did it take you to put this together, Joe? Like this has got to take you forever. Yeah. I mean, it, it took place over time. Um, I started off with the crates and had that idea and, and created a whole bunch of levels with them and quickly realized, okay, you know, I'm going to run out of ideas very quickly. And also you, you want that kind of building element throughout a game where, where you're introducing new things, especially like if I'm going to make it similar to a video game, similar to a lot of digital puzzle games, there's gotta be new things introduced. Uh, so yeah, it, it did take quite a bit of time. And then, you know, once I had, you know, all, a bunch of set of levels, then you go through and realize some are actually impossible to beat. Some are too easy. Um, you know, you don't have enough with, you know, these new elements you've introduced. So it's all about tweaking and balancing them. And then, uh, and then I went through the development work, realizing that it was going to be too costly to produce. And I had 52 blocks at the time. And I was like, Hey, I have to, I have to trim this down, but I still want it to be as good an experience. I don't want to take away from that. I was able to get it down to 38 blocks. So I, I, I next 14 blocks and it plays just as well or better than before. Cause I was under tight constraints, but that was like the minimum I could possibly do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of extra development work and then coming up with the bonus challenges where you have these different combinations and challenges. So rather than just getting the gem, now you have to get the gem, put out this fire, find the trap door, put these blocks in a certain pattern, that type of thing. So there was a lot more work in there. So it, it, it was hundreds of hours of, developing the levels and, and getting them all right. And then getting them into an order that made sense too, where, you know, one thing introduces the next and, and the challenge level goes up over time. So is this something you've kind of like picked away at then over the years, just, you know, imagine this is probably a couple years worth of <laughs> planning. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say it was at least a couple of years. Yeah, probably a couple of years from from the concept to fully developing and, and, you know, breaks in between, you know, working on other games and stuff, not not doing it full time, but, you know, keep coming back and just trying new levels and and trying different things. Now, you had said that uh, people can create their own, uh, they can create their own levels or their own maps or their own puzzle. Yeah, once they complete the campaign, um, yeah. you'll open an envelope and there's a couple different modes. There's an adventure mode where you're taking on these different challenges where instead of just one goal, you have multiple goals you have to try to reach and the levels are all a little different so you can't play them exactly the same. Uh, but then there's kind of a build your own level where you're, you're drawing blocks and building your own level out and having to accomplish the goal of defeating your nemesis one level after another, getting harder and harder. So it's all dependent on the blocks you draw and how you place them. So you have to figure out an arrangement. So you're kind of building level and solving the level right afterwards. Now, in terms of the community around this, I got to imagine that, you know, people that are playing this game are are probably wanting to kind of share thoughts with other people, not obviously giving away uh, how to solve things, but, you know, is there like a community that you've built around this where people can look for tips or, or maybe even if somebody has created their own level, they can put it up digitally and other people can try to solve it or... Absolutely. Yeah. There's a Facebook group that's, uh, that's been pretty active uh, yeah. with people, you know, sharing uh, their adventures through the game. And some people have, you know, got stuck on some levels and have asked for help. And some people post things, you know, saying oh, there's a spoiler here. So, you know, don't, don't read this unless you really, you know, are, are struggling kind of thing. So uh, people have been helping each other out with um, solutions to some of the levels, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I would always encourage, you know, if anybody comes up with an idea for, for a level, I'd love to hear it. And, you know, someday I'll probably, you know, do some kind of contest or something like that where yeah. some fan made levels maybe make it into the game whether it's you know print and play or you know full-on version or something like that i think that would be a really cool thing for the future yeah that would be it's almost like well it would almost become infinite at that point right like you can mm. take the components of the game and you have infinite puzzles being created by people and shared and so forth this thing because i think that would be the concern for some people right is that once you finish your 50 levels then what do you, do you yeah. give it to somebody else to play, which often you do with puzzles. If you have a home, if you finish uh, like a puzzle box or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to, to solve it. And then once you solve it, then you hand somebody else and let them try to solve it and compare notes afterwards. But is it, was that your intent? Like where, where did you kind of envision this at the beginning? Was it always meant to be kind of a finite um, a game experience or did you see to something that could come with successive waves of, of content that could be used with the same components? Well, I definitely saw it originally as kind of like a start and an end, mm. but with definitely the the openings there for expansions for, you know, new new levels, mm-hmm. um, introducing new mechanics and, and new components. Like basically it's it's almost infinite, like you said, how many new things can be introduced in, in different setups yeah. of levels and that type of thing. But for the base game too, I, I didn't want people to have the feeling like they they play the 50 game 50 levels and then they were done with it. Uh, so that's why I introduced the mm-hmm. the other challenges. Um, which have all different combinations of things you can do. And then the build your own levels on top of that. And then, you know, coming up with the new ideas for the expansion too, just to keep it, you know, fresh and yeah. and new and always changing. And I got to say like when, I know even when I'm doing like puzzle boxes or I'm, you know, think of the apps like 100 floors and things, these different types of apps out there, there's an incredible amount of satisfaction, right? That you feel once you've finally solved, right? That final 50th, uh, puzzle. So I, I can see how a lot of people would be really hooked. Can you take us through what's changed now for the expansion? So what does the expansion introduce now? Yeah. So I tried a whole bunch of different things for the expansion, just trying to make sure that I would come up with things that really work and, and introduce something really new and cool. So one of the things that you can't do in the base game is 
um, move things upwards. You can you can push blocks down. You can push like a crate down a level, that kind of thing. You can jump up to it, but you there's no way of moving anything up. Like mm -hmm. the, the crates are you know essentially too heavy for the character to be able yeah. to you know lift up and 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 that kind of thing. So um, I've introduced some uh, you know ramps that allow you to get things up to different levels, and uh, it's made made for some fun gameplay because you have to kind of figure out how to place things, how to get things up to the right level, um, and uh, as well um, portals that allow you to mm -hmm. warp from one place to to another, uh, which is kind of a neat neat thing. And I definitely wanted to introduce more. Uh, one of the things that people really love, which is that satisfaction of dropping a crate on the nemesis. Uh, they're like, oh, I want more of that. I heard a lot of people saying that, like, that's the most fun part of that. So satisfying, like you beat that level, you just crush them. Um, and so I introduced um, some other enemies that you have to face that you have to uh, take out with the crates. So you're going to be doing a lot more of that in the, in the game too. So you'll have the satisfaction of completing the puzzles, uh, dropping things on people and doing some things that you couldn't do in the previous game that you might've been sitting there saying, oh, I wish I could only, you know, do that. Oh, that's cool. So it actually comes with additional components too, I guess, right? Like uh, I can yes. see on screen here, I'm showing people like the portals. Um, there's these, is it, is it green monsters or what are the, the tall, oh, those are snakes. So there's like snakes, cobras yeah. and things like that. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> that's awesome. So when I was looking at the components, I heard, I saw uh, it said something like uh, pressed wood. What, what, what's that mean? What do you mean by pressed wood? Oh yeah, so it's it's pressed or silk screen on the blocks. So rather than having um, blocks that have like stickers on them or something like oh, that, okay, that you gotcha. can peel, um, it's silk screened or um, heat pressed, um, depending on like how, how you frame it. Uh, but the, the images are printed right on there. So the paint, the images and everything, uh, so they will not peel off. So they're like really, really strong, high quality. Yeah, certainly a premium. I mean, stickers are okay, but if you can get printing right onto the actual component, that's always gonna make it look better. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, kind of mention this, and I said this right before we went on air, just because I was blown away by it, but the video, I want to give a shout out to, uh, is it Kagan or Cajun? I can never say. Um, Ori Kagan. Kagan. Yeah. Yeah. From Ori, from uh, Kagan Pro uh, Productions. This intro video you have is probably one of the best Kickstarter videos I think I've ever seen. Oh, thanks. It, it is phenomenal. Um, is this, I, and I know there's some artwork and so forth that he could carry forward from, from the previous campaign, but for people looking to create uh, a Kickstarter campaign with a high quality video like that, um, how much time would it take or should they expect their video production group to, you know, to give them to, to create a video like this? Is this something where they need a couple months in advance or? Well, yeah, you definitely want to be reaching out and, and trying to find out who you want to work with, um, checking out their videos, checking references, checking prices, not kind of thing to see what's in your range, what you want to do. Um, months in advance, I would say, you know, you probably want to be reaching out and trying to find somebody about three months before. Mm. Um, not that they need three months to create it, but if they're a really good creator, like, um, like Ori at Kagan Productions, yeah. he has a backlog. He has a, a number of people he's, you know, already got lined up because uh, people want to work with him. So you need to get in the queue um, yeah. and you need to, you know, get on board and, and, you know, provide a script and provide your assets, you know, make sure all your art that you want for, for the video is all ready uh you know for for that person to to take it and create that video so yeah you want to give them uh at least a few uh, months lead time and if they can get it done early too the advantage is you can get that video and use it for ads you mm -hmm. can use a promotion you can put it on youtube you can share it with other people and just generate interest too so if you can get it done um, a little early um, that's an extra advantage as well 
it definitely generates excitement. And uh, and we had him on the podcast actually, where, he, where him and his gang mm. were talking uh, with the and, uh, tabletop animators. They got yes. a very cool YouTube um, show that they do where they all uh, look at other animations and they'll talk about it and critique it and uh, kind of do um, like reaction videos, which is awesome. Yeah. So anyway, likes video production or likes to kind of figure out how this stuff is done. Definitely fun shows to uh, watch. These guys are just doing a bang up job with it. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. The other person I wanted to call out was, uh, was Tristan Rossum. We've had him on mm-hmm. the uh, show as well. Um, and he's your artist, right? On, on the, I guess your illustrator for, for this game. Yep. He did all the art, uh, graphic design, everything, put it together. Did a great job. He did an amazing job. The artwork mm-hmm. is just beautiful, beautiful that you have on here. So um, just top notch all around. What are, is there any stretch goals or kind of how have you approached this campaign for, obviously you've got the base game, you've got the expansion. So somebody can get the expansion only if they've already got the base game, they can get the base game if they don't want the expansion or they can get them both. <laughs> so all in package. Um, yeah. Is there any other things that you've kind of got in your back pocket? You're going to pull at a later date, do you think? Or Yeah. So I get this a, lo- a lot of thought because I know, you know, stretch goals are something that a lot of uh, people do look forward to and, and keep pe- people coming back to the campaign and that type of thing. Uh, but I felt with an expansion, um, I mean, I could have just done, you know, more levels and that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I didn't want to wear it out at yeah. the same time by, by just doing that as well. Um, so instead of stretch goals, what I did was I just said, if you're, uh, if you're backing the, the base game, you're going to get all the stretch goals that were already in the previous campaign. So you're mm. going to get the 10 extra levels that I created. You're going to get the, uh, the dual layered board. That was actually just an extra that I just wanted to include myself. Cause I, it was a really great suggestion from a backer. Yeah. Um, upgraded components. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that you're going to get all, all that stuff. Uh, you're not going to have to, uh, you know, rely on hopefully with this, this target and this target and this target. Um, and hopefully it bodes well. I mean, a lot of people do really look forward to those stretch goals, but being an expansion and knowing that a lot of people are coming back because they love the base game and they just want the expansion. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, they're going to be, um, happy with that. And, you, you never know. I, I'm not against, you know, any ideas that, that come out through the campaign and that type of thing. But right now I don't have anything uh, planned for stretch goals. And I think there's different camps on this too, right? Cause I'm starting to see a trend now uh, in publishers who are starting to say, you know what, I'm not going to play the game of, you know, building all these kind of fake levels in to get you up to kind of the game I want to produce. I'm just going to produce the game I want to produce, right? I want to mm-hmm. give you the best possible game I can. And, and if you're going to back me, great. And you're, you're going to be part of that journey, but this is what we're putting forward. And, um, I, I like that personally. I like that honest approach, right? We have some publishers that'll do that to say, you know what, we can do different social things. We can release things slowly, right? So things that are already part of the campaign, but we're going to, you know, every few days we're going to, you know, put some news out there, but mm. what they don't want to do is create this this belief that you have to have stretch targets, right? It's almost like uh, the plastic crack is, you know, people always say, oh, you got to have minis, right? So it's mm-hmm. another one of those things that do you really have to have it or would your backers prefer just to have the best possible game you can make and, and be honest about that, right? So like I'll see some things like sometimes like spot varnish, right? Uh, somebody will say, oh, we'll have a spot UV finish on, on our box, you know, as a stretch goal. To add that, especially if you're printing out of China, does not cost a lot extra like no. it could be pennies right so um you're making your backers feel better maybe because you've put a, a, a you know an unlock goal in there but really they're probably going to do that anyways right that's probably already going to be part of their campaign so 
you know, I'm kind of torn on this because being a publisher myself, you know, I, I kind of sometimes want to put those, uh, those stretch goals in there. So the way I've looked at it, and I did this on a previous game I, I just recently funded, where we said, okay, it all came down to these, you know, dual versus triple layer boards, right? So we could do like a single layer board where it's literally just, you know, where you put your cubes and things like that. There's cutouts mm-hmm. in the board. And to go up to a triple layer board where you have now three layers of cardboard and, you know, special gluing and everything and the graphics on the inside to make it look just premium, that actually increased the cost of the game substantially. So what we did is we said, okay, you know, why don't we have, here's the best game we can make under this level over here. And, you know, if we do these boards up here, well then, you know, we'll unlock that at this, at this higher level if we can reach those fundings. But we tried not to put too much in between. I am guilty of that where we did uh, throw a bunch of extra cards in there. Believe it or not, those cards weren't even uh, intended initially. We put them Mm -hmm. in as stretch goals and we hit the stretch goals and it's like, uh, now I gotta redo. Oh, you gotta make them and test them. Yeah, and now I gotta redo my instruction <laughs> book. Right, I gotta do the artwork. All of a sudden, now my sheet size. I just messed up my sheet size. Like it's, you know, it's, it's tough, right, as a publisher, because you get kind of caught up in, oh, what else can I do? What mm. else can I put in this game? And at some point, you have to step back and say, okay, what can I afford to do so I'm not just uh, breaking even or losing money on this just to get the Absolutely. game out, right? So. How have you seen uh, solo games in general evolve over these past few years with COVID and, and everything? What's, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, even before COVID, um, solo games were, you know, really, really increasing in popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's all these Facebook groups that are dedicated just to solo gamers. It's kind of funny. There's some, I think something like 25,000 people yeah. in a solo gaming group, all talking about their solo gaming experience with other people, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, but I mean, not everybody can, can get out to, you know, their gaming groups. Maybe you've moved somewhere and you don't know anybody. Um, maybe your, your spouse, your family is not as into games as you, and you just want to still have that same experience and you're missing it. Or maybe you used to play video games and you're getting tired of them and you, you know, you want something a little different. Um, also for people that are uh, really thoughtful, when they play mm-hmm. um, and they, they take a lot of time and they don't want to slow down other people. You know, you're the type of person that everybody's like, okay, are you done your turn yet? Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When you're playing solo, you can be as contemplative as you want. You can talk to yourself. Well, if I could do this, then I can do this kind of thing. So it really, you know, suits a lot of people to be able to do that. So this was growing well before COVID and, and COVID has just really exacerbated that a lot. Um, having people, you know, only having, you know, a small number of people they could potentially play with. Um, so I think a lot more people have explored solo gaming or got more into that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's come to the point where if you've got a game on Kickstarter or on the retail, retail store, and, and it doesn't say one to however many players, some people are going to look at that and just be like, mm, not going to buy it. Cause I can't, you know, play it by myself, you know, whether they're going to play it multiplayer sometime and solo sometime or whatnot. But as a, as a publisher and a creator, it can't be an afterthought. You know, sometimes yeah. you see a campaign will come up. And, you know, a solo solo mode is the stretch stretch goal or solo mode is really tacked on. Like I've played some games where the multiplayer game is great. And then I play the solo mode and I'm just like, this doesn't even seem like it was tested. Like <laughs> but one, one game I played it four times in a row solo and I just e- easily beat it. Yeah. And I'm just like, this isn't even a challenge. There's not even different challenge levels. Like yeah. I'm going to have to set my own challenges to make this at all you know, difficult for me. Otherwise it's, they just made it way too easy. Now in um, fairness, you're so, a game yeah. designer and a, a teacher of game design, but I'll put that to no, the side. No, like it, 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 it's <laughs> somewhat like random, the card that's drawn and you have to do some placement in that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, it's something that you have to be thinking of from the start. It can't be something that's like at the very end, like, oh, we should have come up with solo mode in a week before, you know, you're launching a Kickstarter. Let's come up with something like you really have to put some time and effort yeah. into it. Is it um, important to have solo modes, you think, on like regular games? Because in the past, you'd kind of have solo games and you'd have multiplayer games. And now we've seen this kind of Venn diagram where they're, they're kind of merging now, right? Now you've got multiplayer yeah. games. Oh, and we have a solo version. So I, I echo what, you, what you're saying here is that, you know, try to think of that from the beginning, right? Here's the solo version. So instead of just kind of tacking it on as an afterthought, so you can try to bring in more backers. And I think it's a good strategy to do a solo version of your game so you can bring in, the, you know, that, that group. But is it necessary, do you think, in, in this kind of in this environment? Like, is it something that people should really push for to try to have a solo version of the game? Or do you think it matters? If it, if it works with your game, I mean, you just can't, you can't force it. Um, there's going to be some games um, if there if you got a game with, that has all sorts of negotiation and trading and things like that, um, or social deduction game, it's probably going to be very very hard to come up with a solo version. If you can, fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it it could play very very differently. It could be a completely different game at that point. Um, but there's going to be a lot of cases where it, it's just not going to work. Um, so mm. it really comes down to your game and 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 if it's going to work. Is there a way to play this solo that's going to be fun and engaging? Because you know, gamers are also be becoming very adept at looking at a game and seeing, is this solo mode going to actually work? Sure, it says one to four players, but how is the solo mode? Am I actually going to want to play it? Or is it just something they've, you know, thrown together? Like they, they need to look at the rules and look at it and say, okay, the, the, the person that's creating this has really put some thought into this as opposed to, oh, okay, it's just this, the regular player mode, but you're playing it two-handed or something like that. Or yeah, like, which, it just doesn't work. What's your thought on Automa decks? I think they can work. Um, yeah. Again, it depends on the game. Like if you look at Stonemaier games, they have like that, that's the way that they do it. Yeah. Um, and it works really well for them. But I, I think if you're going to do that, it has to be simple enough that a player doesn't have to think too much about it. It's just more of, okay, the other player does this. Um, they collect this resource. They take this away from you, that kind of thing. It has to be pretty straightforward and easy to play. It, it, you don't want to really make it feel like you're playing a, soul, a, a whole second hand. Mm -hmm. Like you're playing a game against a whole other player. It, it has to come together and feel like you're, you're doing that without actually doing that. Yeah. Uh, so, so it has to be so that the player would be making choices that are reasonable or taking away resources that would be reasonable if you're playing against a comp another opponent. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be in every game. There's lots of great other solo modes and games where that's not necessarily, you're just, you're just playing and trying to either beat a, beat a score or, or something like that, like a game like Cartographers plays really well. Isle of Cats plays really well. It has more of an automa kind of thing, mm -hmm. but Cartographers can play really well solo. You're just, you know, taking the pieces, puzzling them in, and you're trying to beat a particular score. And if you do that, however well you do better than that, that's that's how well you've done. One thing that we've tried to do, and rightly or wrongly, is is my belief is that if you can create a solo game using the same components but not necessarily make it the exact same game that the multiplayers play, I think is fine. I think I'd prefer that. I'd, I'd prefer to have, okay, I've got these components in the box and then here's now a solo game. So maybe or traditionally it's something where you're battling another person and then the solo variant is more of a, a puzzle using the mm -hmm. same components. For me, I think that's a better approach or what I like to, to, to go for versus trying to shoehorn that initial play style into a solo mode. And what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that, that you'd like to see or, or do you have different preferences? 
Yeah, well, you certainly can't force it. If it's if it doesn't work, you tried something, or or you yeah. just see it's it's not going to work playing it the exact same way. I think it's fine to do that. I th- I think the big thing is to make people aware mm-hmm. um, that the solo mode is going to be different. Uh, so they're gonna it is gonna be a different experience. And in that case, it might be uh, you might be wise to think about something like saying two to four players plus solo mode instead of one to four players. That mm-hmm. might you know give people the the inkling that okay, the solo mode is a little bit different. It's going to play a little differently. Um, and just, you know, if you're doing on Kickstarter or whatnot, maybe show off, um, how the solo mode works differently. That, yeah. that would be a, a, what I would recommend, uh, you know, so that solo players know, and they understand this is going to be different, but they might look at that and say, Ooh, that looks really cool. I like that puzzly aspect to it. Yeah. Um, so that might be a way to, you know, pull more people in, you know, they can play multiplayer this way, but you can play solo and it's a little different. So I think it's just letting people know what they're getting. So they're not going to get a game, get it home and then be like, Oh, this is not what I expected. Cause you know, everything I've heard about the game is, is this, yeah. and then yeah. solo mode, it's, it's totally different. It's great advice. I think I'm actually going to take that advice. Uh, Cause that's a great way of putting it right. Instead of saying like one to six players, it's two to six players plus a solo mode. I think that'd be interesting to see and see that on the box, like in a little icon for like a solo mode for the front of the box mm. too. So maybe start almost a trend in iconography if, if possible. <laughs> um, so what have you done on this campaign different than the past? Like what, what was the key learning you brought into this time around that you had to, the big change or thing you did differently to, to drive your success? For sure. So, um, I mean, this campaign is going to be very different than the first one because I had a lot of backers who, who really enjoyed the game and we're kind of looking for more. They're like, oh, I want to play more levels and that kind of thing. So um, it is very much more focused on them. And, and I've definitely seen that on day one. The vast majority of backers are previous backers who came just for the expansion alone. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, I've had to kind of split uh, what, I've, what I'm doing. There's kind of like two camps. Whereas with the first game, it was just, okay, if you're into like puzzly solo kind of games, this, this, this might be something you want to check out. Um, and now I've had to kind of split it where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of marketing and, and talking to my current backers of, you know, the Relics of Rajahara base game and saying, hey, here's some cool new stuff. If you like the game, you're going to love this as well. And then having to go to a completely different group and say, hey, the, you know, this is, this is something you may not have seen before um, and attracting that audience. So I've, one of the key learns, learnings is I've had to kind of split my attention and see where it goes. And the first day has really told me kind of where it's going, but I, I think it's going to be a little different by the end. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, the vast majority have come for the expansion, but I think at some point, you know, all the people that want the expansion probably will have jumped on board. You know, there will be some, you know, late backers and that kind of thing, but I think most of the people who were excited about it got on board early. So I'm going to have to try ways to, to, you know, pull more people in, um, to, to introduce them to the game. So it's, it's like fresh to them because you have to, you have to think that, you know, your game is up there for 20 days, 25 days, 30 days, whatever it is, not everybody's going to see your game in the yeah. world. Um, some people will have seen it. Some people have missed it and said, Oh, they're kicking themselves because they missed it. That kind of thing. And other people still will never have heard of it. So there's always more audience. You have to try to, to draw in. Um, so, you know, those are some of my key learnings about how to go about kind of marketing it. Um, and, and I'm going to have to take my, you know, results from the first couple of days and kind of see how, how I'm going to tweak that as well. Now, are you running like Facebook ads or anything like that on this or? Yep. Yeah. Facebook ads has been uh, one of my primary things. And do you manage it yourself or do you use like a third party group or? Yeah, I managed it myself. Wow. Um, it's, it, and it's always, it's always a learning curve. I, I've debated, you know, whether or not to use a marketing company and in the future, I, I may, uh, go ahead and do that. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, it, it allows you to 
invest your time in the things that you do the best. Sure. Uh, but I have run some Facebook ad campaigns in the past for, for other projects and that type of thing. So I was comfortable enough uh, running it. And I think with an, a marketing agency, I probably could get better results, but there's a cost that goes with that too. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah. Usually a retainer and a percentage of uh, what they bring in for sure. De- so, yeah. Depending on who you go with. Yeah. Yeah. So what, I mean, I know you're a busy guy and you're working on a lot of stuff all the time. What's the next game you got? I'm sure you got another game coming. What's next on deck? Yeah, I got lots of games in the works, but the, the one uh, we're really excited about is uh, it's called BBQ SOS or barbecue sauce, depending on how you pronounce it. It's, the name oh, may cool. change, uh, but it's a, it's a polyomino Tetrisy type game where um, you're, you're fighting uh, with other people at a neighborhood grill. So basically been invited to a party and everybody's trying to show off, you know, their barbecuing skills, you know, I'm the best cook kind of thing. So it's a game about trying to be uh, the king or queen of the grill by um, getting different food orders that are these Tetris type pieces of, you know, you got like, you know, steaks and ribs and, and uh, vegetables and that type of thing. And you have to place them on the grill, but it's all one shared grill. So it's a polyamino game with one grill everybody's fighting for, and you have to cook them. And there's a time management thing where, uh, you know, people can adjust the knobs and that kind of thing. So it's going to cook at different times and you have different uh, times that everything has to cook. So you have to try to cook things to perfection, get them off the grill, but you only have two actions on your turn. So are you going to get things on there, take things off, baste marinade, get things served and, and try to get your points all while everybody's competing for this grill at the same time. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun little game we've been playing around with and it's uh, it's in a contest right now. We've been pitching it to publishers. So we'll wow. see where it goes. I don't know if we're going to wind up publishing that ourselves. It just depends if another publisher shows some interest. That sounds odd. How many players does it play? Uh, two to six right now. And I know you're going to say solo mode. Is there a solo mode for it? I so don't know. That's, some, that's something that we're going to have to work on. It's, it's going to be tough with this because there's such an element of battling and, and yeah. the fighting for the space. I don't know how exactly that would work having a solo player. You could definitely do it for like points and taking items and that kind of thing. But how is that going to work on the grill with other people placing it, how would that get placed to kind of block you off and that kind of thing? So that's something we're to give more thought to as we continue to develop it. That's awesome. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. How do people tr- how do people follow you? Is there like a one place that they can go to kind of be part of your community, or how best do they do that? For sure, yeah, they can check out boardgamedesigncourse.com, and that's where I have all my blogs, books, posts, and all sorts of resources for game designers. Awesome. And if anybody wants to follow this campaign. I encourage you to check out the page, the very least to see that opening video, which is just awesome. Oh, I did an amazing job. Yeah, I'll put in the show notes the link to your Kickstarter page. Uh, or I found even today, if you just type in relics, uh, the page will come up right away if you do a, a search in Kickstarter for it. So, Joe, I am so excited for you, man. You're just crushing it. I can't wait to see where this campaign ends. And I hope to get you back on this podcast again for your next game. Absolutely. Anytime, James. Thanks so much for having me on again. Take care, man. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.
This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. We'll be right back.